Welcome to Coastline Church, seeking renewed faith in Humboldt County by being settled and secure in God's love. To learn more, visit coastlinefoursquare.com. I've been in a couple of conversations lately, and they're referring to a book which I haven't read yet, so I won't mention the book because I need to read it myself. But basically, the, the, the issue, so it was in a place with all guys. And the issue they brought up was, well, what's all this about feelings and belonging and love? Like, where's, where's the manliness? You know, where's the toughness? And I, I find this interesting because, you know, all this grace, love, belonging, you know, it's, are you tough enough? We got to toughen up. And uh, then I think, well, what do you mean by tough? Because I worked in the business world. And I knew a hard-nosed businessman. You know, they were tough. They were hard to deal with. And they were very unhappy guys, most of them. Um, I did prison ministry for 20 years. A lot of guys in there seemed really tough. In fact, uh, one guy was so tough, he was intimidating me. It was, uh, <clears throat> it was early on. I had just started doing the jail. And I, and I know I'm not tiny, but this guy was big, like way bigger than me. And he had all the tats, and he just stared. He just kind of glared at me. And then the next week, he just glared at me. And then the third time I saw him, so it's two weeks, but we met three times, he comes up with tears. Because this is a guy that, like, you could tell no one wanted to mess with this guy. And this big guy who would, would I guess you'd say, be one epitome of toughness, he starts crying. And he says... I have wasted my whole flippin' life. And he didn't say flippin', but I have wasted my whole life. And I've heard you for, for two weeks now. And I need to know, because he was older and he was going to quit. And he says, I'm going to Quentin for at least 14 years. I may not live out the sentence. And I need to know, can God do anything with my life? And so all his years of toughness brought him to a place of recognizing what, what does it all mean? What, what is this toughness? And I'm saying this because I also listened to a podcast, which I used to never do. I just started like three weeks ago. Um, the podcast is called uh, Joy Fueled and Jesus Led. And when they do the lead-in, they always say, our heart, our goal, among other things, is for you to become emotional ninja warriors. And I thought that's interesting because they talk about emotions but their intent is not saying we should be controlled by them. It's more the opposite. Because a lot of times our answer with emotions is we suppress them or we get overly influenced by them. And their whole heart is, no, we want to talk about the emotions because emotions is how you connect to each other. Knowing how you feel is how you connect with people. And the idea is if we learn to engage emotionally with others and with God, it actually gives us strength not to be run by them. But we can also still enjoy them, or in cases when they're tough ones, really share in them. I mean, Scripture does say, weep with those who weep, with joy with those who rejo yeah. yeah. rejoice with those who rejoice. <clears throat> and so I'm saying this because this time, and then I'll be speaking again in two weeks, um, I want to talk about some things that are emotional, or set a tone, I guess I'd say, for belonging. And that's what I'm after here. 
is we actually don't become emotional ninja warriors through control or duty. Well, I will just suppress them. I will control them, you know, like that self-will. Or, well, I'll just have a sense of duty. And I do understand. I mean, one of the times, just things you experience, when, you know, when you're on job sites and someone gets hurt or whatever, there is a healthy way to turn off your emotions to just do what needs to be done in the moment. I mean, it's just like there's a healthy side of even feeling fear. If you run into a bear on the trail, it's good to get a drill-on rush from fear. But you can't live there. If you live there, it destroys you. <clears throat> so, this one may seem, I guess I'm saying this because the gist, the gist of the conversation is that this book was, we got to quit having these soft messages. And I'm going, well, how do you define soft? Because we're going to look at some scripture, and not only it's soft, but it's true, it's scripture. <clears throat> so like in 1 John 1, it says, we are reporting to you what we have seen and heard, that you too may be having intimate communion with us. So John, the apostle, and I think we can agree, he was a tough apostle. I mean, he had to endure a lot. Oh, yeah. He had a long life and a lot of persecution. All the apostles did. And yet he says, the only reason I'm writing, like this is the start of his letter. He's saying the whole reason I'm telling you what we have actually seen and heard. And part of it was people were going around. This is by Leighton uh, John, sorry, not Paul. This is John. Leighton John's life. People had already started rumors. Well, Jesus wasn't really here. He wasn't really a man. Or others were saying, well, he wasn't really a deity. Or maybe the miracles didn't happen. He was already dealing with that just like 50 years after Christ. We, we think John lived a really long life. And he's saying, I'm telling you this so you'll have intimate fellowship with us. Communion, it's actually the word koinonia, tight fellowship. And yet, this intimate communion of ours is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So he's saying, this is not just human communion. This is, this is a deep communion with each other and with the Lord. It's all one thing. And we are writing these things so that the joy among us may be full. So this isn't like a little side thing or a wimpy thing. This is like, this is the goal. He's telling you why he wrote his epistle. <coughs> joy is an awareness of God loving to be with us. I just like, I like to have definitions. And this is a definition I like of joy. Joy is an awareness of God loving to be with us. He enjoys speaking with us. There's joy in belonging. Is that actually belonging to people? I always think of the uh, show Cheers. And sorry if that offends you that we used to watch Cheers. But that whole song is, you want to go where everybody knows your name. You just want to go somewhere you belong. Okay. <clears throat> I think it helps us. The whole tone for our belonging is based on a grace gift. And even the word grace is kind of sometimes, it's almost nebulous. So I'm hoping this will at least give you an idea of at least one way it's not. <clears throat> so this is in Ephesians. But because, well, actually the but. So Ephesians 1 talks about the great plan of God. It says, even before he made the universe, he foresaw you. And for, the, the, for his own pleasure, he has made a decision. For his own pleasure, he knew before he cast out the cosmos that some things were going to turn south and it was going to cost the blood of Jesus to get us back. And he decided, worth it to me. It's worth it. And he decided, I'm going to see these people blameless in my sight. Then he goes on to talk about the power of Christ, how it's over everything and about how his power dwells in the church. But then he says, let's be clear. 
you were at one time enemies of God. Because you have to understand the whole thing is like, we're indeed with power, but we better understand how we got it and why we have it. So he builds this, this foundation to everything, which is his great love. Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And earlier on he said, even when you were enemies, like, and there are other places he writes and says, while we thought ourselves as enemies and thought of God as an enemy, he loved us. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us, us, seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show off. I that italicized because almost all versions will say a word like show. But I want to make it clear, sometimes it could mean he wants to show his riches to us. It's not that kind of show. So he wants to show his riches, but it's more like the word show off. He wants to demonstrate it to everywhere in the universe. So he's not just showing us his love. He wants to show off his power in us to others. So to show us, see this in heaven. I'm sorry, God lost, sorry. That he might show off the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Okay. <clears throat> For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves or not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works for which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're his handiwork. It's the word poema. So people often say it's like we're a beautiful poem. We're a work of art. It actually means even more than that, but I'll get to that in a second. But the idea is we were created to be this, this display, something God could show off. Okay, I want to read it in the CLV. So this is the concordant literal version. This is just verses 6 through 10. He rouses us together. So this, this is more literal. doesn't flow. But he rouses us together and seats us together among the celestials in Christ Jesus, that in the oncoming eons, he should be displaying the transcendent, and literally that is the word over and the word casting. It's the overcast. The transcendent riches of his grace in kindness unto us in Christ Jesus. So his grace comes onto us, but it's transcendent. It is overcasting. And actually we get to see it because of between smoke and fog, we have overcast skies. And when the, when the weatherman says you'll have overcast, what he means is you will have a layer of clouds over everything. So it means above all things, but it also means it's over. So it's cast over everything. So his transcendent riches of his grace means whatever's going on, this is over all of it. It's the overcast over everything. For in grace, through faith trust, you are, are you saved. And this is not of you. It is God's approach present, not of works, lest anyone should be boasting. And I want to talk a lot about approach. approach. Guys, just pray for my tongue and my mouth and lips. Man. <clears throat> it is God's approach present, not of works, lest anyone should be boasting. For his achievement are we. Because that's actually what poema really means. It's an achievement. It's not just a poem. It is an achievement. And he's saying we are God's achievement. Being created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God makes ready beforehand that we should be walking in them. Okay, I want to focus on approach present. 
because it's it's the word gift, it, and a lot of translations say gift, but this is the literal, because it's a kind of gift. <clears throat> and an approach present can refer to coming into God's presence with a with a gift. So the Magi, you remember the gold, Frank, and Luke, uh, the Magi bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's where he uses the same word. They presented gold, frankincense, and myrrh as an approach present. Um, Jesus, when he says, leave your gift, if you're bringing an alt- a gift to the altar, but you have aught with a brother, leave the gift, go fix things with your brother, and then come back. So an approach present um, in, in Catholicism, and maybe other liturgical churches, we call these oblations. It's a gift you give to God, it has a religious connotation. So it can, it can mean a, in a ritual sacrifice. But it also includes, that word can be used from person to person. So a person in that culture, and, and it looks like, according to scholars and historians that know way more than I do, um, they say that uh, if someone wanted to establish a relationship with someone, and they say what's powerful about this, it could be someone of fairly high standing. Like we, we now are used to saying we're all equal, we're all equal in Christ. But in the time of Christ, the Greeks, the Romans, the Jews, nobody else believed that. I mean, they, their deal was there were people of higher status than others. And if someone of higher status wanted to start a relationship with someone in a lower status, they would send to their house an approach gift. And so what would happen is if Linda was higher ranking and she wanted to have a relationship with, with Carla, she would send an approach gift to Carla at the house. The approach gift is unconditional. Carla does nothing to earn it. She does nothing to deserve it. It is a gift. So it's an unconditional gift. However, she has a choice. She can choose to receive it or reject it. If she turns it down, what she's saying is, thanks, Linda, but I don't really want an ongoing intimate relationship with you. And she can turn it down. She can also receive it. But when she receives it, she is saying, yes, I want a relationship. Um, You can extend it farther. so if a man in, in the time of Christ, and it was in Jewish culture, it was in a lot of cultures though, the families would often have to approve marriages. So first, if a young man was interested in a woman, he'd have to first make sure both families are agreed. And if the family seemed agreed, he would then send a gift to the woman he was interested in. <clears throat> actually, in most Jewish culture, he would actually send the gift for her to her dad. So her dad would have it, but it'd be a gift for her. If the dad okayed it, he'd had it, he'd give it to his daughter. If she received it, it's it's unconditional. She does nothing to, to earn it. But if she receives it, they are betrothed. Because the gift says, I want a relationship with you. And Paul is saying like this, this is unconditional. It is a gift. It's being offered an approach gift. But it's not forced on you. Because it's interesting he uses this word, approach gift, because it's not forced on you. You can choose to say yes to it, but what you're saying yes to is an ongoing relationship. And that's what's so powerful about this, is in religion terms, which is where it's how it's usually used in the New Testament, it's about our approach gift to God. But the interesting thing is, Paul claims God has given an approach present to us. So he's saying, while we are yet sinners and enemies, here's what's amazing. Because all the other religions are, you do sacrifices, you let out blood, or you get big expensive gifts and you take them to whatever priest that 
is of the God you believe in, you give something to, to try and endear the deities to you. And he is saying, no, it's actually the other way around. God has given the approach gift to us. And in a real sense, this is even what Christ is. You know, God, God so loved the world, he gave his son. Because there was something between us and God that had to be dealt with. And God gave his son as the approach gift to say, I'm getting that out of the way. I want a relationship with you. And that's powerful. Because he's saying God initiated it. He's saying all of it about is this, that we only love because God loves us first. This is all in 1 John. We only love because God loves us first. While we are his enemies, God declares us his children. He offers us an approach gift. Um, oblations, we aren't doing communion today, but in the Catholic Eucharist, um, they also call oblations. We, we offer the bread and the wine as our approach gift. It gets turned into the body and blood of Christ, so we then have communion. Um, the only thing that's not really accurate about that is it actually goes the other way around. Christ offered his body and blood first before we offered anything, because everything we do is in response to him giving but it isn't forced on us. This is this is important to me because a lot of times, um, and I run into this in the jail, guys have heard things like, well, here's the four spiritual laws. Here's how you make sure you get to heaven. Say this prayer. Now that you say this prayer, it's all about getting you in heaven. Can we check the box that you're going to heaven? Say this prayer so we can check the box you're going to heaven. And, and what I actually overheard guys in jail say once, and I, I had to correct it. I heard a guy actually, and I really did, heard this guy whisper to this guy, Hey, stay in the Bible, stay at the end, he'll pray with you. And what's good is, after he prays with you, you're golden, and you can still go take that other guy out. <laughs> and so it's like, no, that is not understanding the approach present. Because when you say yes to God, it isn't like just, oh, yes, I want to go to heaven. It's not that kind of checkbox. He is offering you the gift of himself. The very God of the universe we just sang about, I mean, the God who made everything, he wants a relationship with us. And we get to choose to say yes. And that's all we have to do. All we really have to do is receive the gift. Like, again, if the, if the groom sent that gift to the woman he wanted to be betrothed to, she didn't have to do anything to earn it. She just had to receive it. And she received it. They were engaged. And God's saying the same to us. This is my gift. But let's make sure we understand what we're saying yes to is we want a relationship with him. It's not about a ticket to heaven and God being distant. The whole amazing thing is the God of the universe is saying, I want an intimate relationship with you. And we're saying yes to that. And that's what everything is based on. Anything that leaves that out is missing what the good news is. The good news isn't just you get to go to heaven. And I'm happy for heaven. But the good news is not that you are just going to heaven. The good news is the God of the universe has an intimate relationship with you. And it's based on him initiating it, not us doing anything to earn it. Okay, so as you go on in the chapter, because I'm skipping a whole bunch of verses to get to this part, we see what, what Paul is saying. Like one of the, there's two great mysteries of God that Paul talks about. In Colossians, he talks about the great mystery of Christ in us. But here, it's still that mystery, but he talks about the great mystery is God isn't really after just the Jews. God isn't really after an inside group, the Jews and you Gentiles are outside. He said, you seemed outside, but here's the amazing secret. From all ethnos, because the word for Gentile is that it gets translated Gentile in the Bible. 
is the word ethnos. It basically meant every ethnicity other than the Jews. And he says, God wants to form a single people from every ethnic group in the entire world, a group that's one in him. He wants to display his power in us by deep attachment we all share with him and with each other. So a very diverse group of people, people that did not normally even get along, he wants to make one group and make them together. And so this, this all jumps down because that's, that's his whole goal. So now I'm jumping down to chapter 3, verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, this wisdom that we, get, we all get to come from every ethnic group, should be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That's an interesting line because in chapter 6, when he says we don't war against humans, no human is our enemy, he says, but we have enemies in these, these areas. And he says, but what's amazing is these enemies that we sometimes overly fear, he not only wants to work in us, we are going to be his bragging points to those people or those beings. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ our Lord, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So the whole context is God is the one that sent you the approach gift. It's the way he sent me. He sent all of us the approach gift. We have said yes. He has said, I want an intimate relationship. So now when we see the gift, we realize we boldly approach him. Because we boldly approach him because he's the one that said, I want this kind of intimacy. So there's no hesitation to be tight with God about anything. We don't have to suppress emotions. We don't have to hide them. Um, again, I talked about manliness. I think we all recognize David was one tough dude. I mean, he's, he's a young kid and he takes on Goliath. Um, before that, he killed a lion and a bear. Like, David seems tough and manly. And in the Psalms, you see, he writes about every emotion under the book. He writes about fear. He writes when he was haughty. He writes when he was full of regret. He writes when he was questioning God, saying, I don't even know why I serve you because you seem to bless others more than me. And then he also, in fact, he even gets honest later in that same one. That's in uh, Psalm 73 and says, I was like a beast before you. And then what's powerful, he writes that line like, even though he totally gives free vent to these negative emotions, he says, I was like a beast before you, but you never let go of my right hand. Because David was amazing. I mean, he was a man after God's heart because he understood, I really am precious to him. And he doesn't let go of me. <clears throat> okay. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. I don't want to go into that. That's almost like a sideline because, again, Paul, this is Paul's a persecuted person, and he's trying to comfort them at the same time as call them higher. But this is powerful to me. This is why I feel like, um, I guess if it's touchy-feely, it's important to be touchy-feely. Because in this context of what he says, God wants to create this, this bragging point, this great achievement of God. He says, with all of this going on, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. And what he prays tells us what it requires for us to move on with this. Not only to receive the original approach gift, but develop this intimate relationship that leads to an amazing, amazing community. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, in, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. Again, he's talking about every ethnic group is in this. This isn't just Jews. And I turned that off, sorry. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he staunch you. 
So they talk about being strong, but he's saying, this is strong. Like, I'm making you staunch. He, he really, he doesn't want us, like, yeah, we come to God messy, but he's saying, I don't leave you messy. And he loves the mess, but he can give strength to us. His riches staunch you with power through his spirit in your inner being to downhome you. Okay, again, I know this, this is unusual phrasing, but I, I like to see the literal here. So, to downhome Christ. Because we always say, oh yeah, Christ in us. We hit that clip. No, he's saying down home, like down home, down in my belly, down in our homes when we're in a family together, down home us. You know, one of the great feasts that, that was critical, there were three big feasts. And the first one was Passover that comes in the calendar year. And the powerful thing about Passover is they didn't celebrate Passover in the temple. They didn't celebrate Passover. And then this is like, if you're going to be a Jew, you have to celebrate Passover. Passover. And Christ is our Passover lamb. He was sacrificed for us. But it's powerful that the Jews were told to celebrate Passover in their homes. And you could have multiple families get together in a home. But he didn't say gather in a synagogue. He didn't say gather in a temple. He wanted it down home. You know, it's just, uh, my Catholic friends have me reading this, this book about the Eucharist. And I think it's all good until they make it really important about why we have to have the priest and the ceremony and all that. Because Passover and real communion is supposed to be intimate. It's not about a ritual. It's about intimate connection. Okay, where did I leave off? All right. Oh, through his spirit in your inner being, to downhome Christ through trust in your hearts and love, being rooted and founded grounded. So we are founded grounded. We are founded by Christ. He initiated it, but it also means we are grounded in it. So it means both we, he started it, but he is the secure foundation. Being strong to be grasping with all the holy ones, the length, depth, breadth, and height, the love of Christ. Transcending, that same word overcasting. It is the overcast over everything. Transcending knowledge, the love of Christ over everything we think, over everything we speak or do that you may be completed to the entire filling of God. That's a pretty high filling. And I don't know how an eternal God and an infinite God fills us, and how we get all of that in us, but God works it out. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than what all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. It's awesome. But the clear thing here is, <clears throat> he's, he is the one initiated this amazing grace gift, this amazing approach gift to us. And he is the one that creates in us this display of his power, this great achievement. And he creates it by us understanding his glory in our unity, in deep attachment. And to live in this unity, we need to experientially know grace gift relationship initiated in him and the depth, height, length, and width of Christ's love among us. And it sounds such a filly, but it's saying, you want to get this? You're not going to get this by your 50-day fast all on your own. You can go live, in, a, you can go live in, the, in the desert for 50 years if you want. But that's actually not how you get this. You don't get this by just memorizing lots of scripture. It's not about knowledge. It's not about duty. It's about intimate relationship and real connection. And I, I, I mean, I'm not against spiritual disciplines. I, I believe they're super important. 
But I believe actually learning relationship skill sets is also spiritual discipline. And sometimes we use spiritual disciplines to escape emotional feelings that we don't like. Well, I just need to withdraw from everybody because I don't like dealing with them. <clears throat> if God tells you to withdraw, that's great. But Jesus withdrew at times. <clears throat> he was also extremely involved with people at times. <clears throat> you know, I only do what I see the Father doing. Yeah. Jesus' whole thing is you want to go to the desert, great. Make sure you're going there because Jesus told you to go there, not because you're trying to escape things. <clears throat> so <clears throat> I wanted to have some kind of conclusion to put meat on. And the problem was I got a flood of different things that I think get in the way. And I don't want to be here till noon. And I know you definitely want to be here till noon. <clears throat> so I wanted to get down to just these things. Because I, it was on my mind, because after talking to these these men, I realize sometimes what we call manliness is fear. Like, and, I, and actually, my, my own family, and, it, and my dad I had an awesome dad, but he was of a generation, tears are uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. So I learned if you ever cried in front of dad, he actually, he almost, he looked like disdain, like he was almost disgusted, like, I don't know what to do with this. So you learned young, you just don't cry. And the whole idea of real men don't cry. I mean, that, that was just a motive that happened in my dad's generation that passed on to mine, is you control it. You, you, you don't show uncomfortable emotions. <clears throat> and that gets in the way, because God, God has no problem. David had no problem writing about uncomfortable emotions, and God has no problem processing them with them and dealing them. And I'm not saying all men, like I would even say this is a, a very much cultural thing. Because I, I have relatives in a different culture, and in their culture, men crying and weeping was just common. In fact, he was saying, you know, it's a, my brother-in-law was even saying, no, they, they were great at displaying emotion. And they'd cry at goodbyes, they'd cry at hellos. They said that also is a different culture, because like they, they give you a kiss when they hadn't seen you in a while. And they said, no, and these were manly men, and they didn't kiss you on the cheek. I mean, it's like, anyway. <laughs> Sorry, for an Irish boy, that gets me uncomfortable. <laughs> but the other one that happens is we have a real need. It's created in us. God created us in a need for relationship, a need to belong. And what happens is when we don't get that need met, we feel like we're not valuable. And we feel like we have to prove our worth. We have to prove, well, we have to impress and one of the things that happens is whenever we are trying to impress or prove our value, it gets in the way of just enjoying being with people. And this even happens when trying to share the gospel with people that don't know Jesus yet. Because we all of a sudden feel in the back of our mind, well, I got to have the right word to say. I got to come up with a thing to say. I got to make sure they hear this. And whether they agree or not, at least I, I've got to be, what well, comes from the teaching of uh, you don't want to be responsible of them going to hell, which I understand. But then you end up with a little, a little spiel in her head. Well, if I say the words, even if they don't understand them, at least, at least it's off me. At least I said it. Even if they didn't understand it, I got it off my chest. And that's all from this whole idea of I'm trying to have behavior that's okay instead of relaxing in connection and talking about a grace gift. Because since God has an approach gift to us, what we're sharing is an approach gift with others. And the first thing about an approach gift is the whole goal is connection. Um, the way one person put it once is, never underestimate the value of just enjoying being with people. They were actually talking about parenting. It was uh, from a parenting book. And this, the author said, 
Don't overestimate the value of just enjoying your kids. Amen. Don't worry so much about teaching them. Just enjoy being with them, mm -hmm. and the rest will come. Yes. And I just feel like you could extend that everywhere. Yes. If you can just enjoy being with people, the rest will come. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> and then the last one, and it's on my mind because I'm going to have to have a, an uncomfortable conversation with somebody soon here over something like this. Um, not here, here, somebody <laughs> else. Our sense of justice gets in the way of the approach gift, gets in the way of us sharing it and really understanding God, while I was an enemy and was doing nothing righteous, starts with connection. Because a twisted view of justice is, but if people do wrong or hurt me, they should be punished for it. And if they hurt me deeply, they should be punished a lot. And what happens is you get in a place where your relationship is stuck and your life is stuck. Because what I think most of us, a lot of us are my age, we've probably seen it all around us. Someone gets into a place where they have to punish someone else. They may even in their mind think, but you've ruined my life, so I'm going to punish you for it. Well, you can choose to do that and have a ruined life. Or you cannot have a ruined life. But to not have the ruined life, you have to decide you're not going to punish anybody. Because you can't desire to punish somebody for wronging you and have a free a life that's free. Have a life that's not ruined. And that's that's conversation I have to have because I finally realized that's what's going on with some friends of mine. And they're very distant friends that none of you will ever meet. But I realized that the issue in their marriage is they have to let go of wanting the other person to feel bad about what they did. Because they wanted, they're hanging on to a very old hurt of, but you have to understand how much that hurt. And they relive it because they want that person to relive the guilt for it. But as long as they want to punish the other person, they are stuck there. And their life sucks because of it. We have to release those things and we have to give up the idea of living by justice. We have to say we we are not going to buy. We're not going to have rights to punish for this grace gift. Okay, <clears throat> those were the only three I wanted to emphasize this morning because I really don't want the the practice to to muddy the idea of what an approach gift is. That before we ever brought an oblation to God, He brought an oblation to us. That He has said, "I want a relationship with you," and it's unconditional, conditional. It sounds weird. Because in our culture, things are conditional or unconditional. It's unconditional in that you do nothing to earn it, but you have the freedom to choose to receive it or reject it. But remember, when you receive it, you're saying yes to a relationship. Okay? Amen. That's it. Thank you for joining us today at Coastline Church. To find out more information, please visit coastlinefoursquare.com.